0: morning we are going through a series uh, at City Reach Marion called Biblical Relationships and uh, we've been working our way logically through often how relationships work, uh, covering a whole lot of ground. And today we are looking at parents and children. And this is a a really specific uh, text for us, really helpful text, because it gets straight to the point, doesn't it? it? And while we may not all be parents, we're all children. So this applies to everyone you know sometimes you think this doesn't apply to me but I hope uh, that you'll be able to see how this definitely applies to you and uh, just to place us in context uh, because when we pick up a particular you know verses in the Bible and and we look into we zoom in really tightly on that we often forget to zoom out a little bit and see well, what else is going on around here and this is in a section of teaching through the book of Ephesians which actually um, It covers a whole lot of application on how we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is what Ephesians 5.21 says. So God has ordered the world in particular ways, and he's ordered relationships uh, that they should best function in particular ways. This is where we recognize that God is creator and designer. We recognize that our God is not just someone who created the world and sort of set us off on our own devices Uh, because that would be very scary if he did that. But no, God has a keen interest in the world. And he's actually shown us that by sending his own son into the world to become a person. But he also has instruction and clear teaching for how we ought to live in these close relationships. And uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at marriage. uh, And last week, we looked at sex and intimacy and sexuality. And this week, uh, we zoom into parents and children. And it's interesting, a, a text... Is fascinating because uh, it covers both children and parents. Often we just think of you know families, parents, and there's lots of books about how to be a good parent. Put a hand up if you've bought a book on parenting before. Good, yeah, okay, right, because it's difficult. Put a hand up, put your hand up if you've bought a book on how to be a good child. No one's done that. No one's done that, right? But it's right here. In fact, this is the only place, I was reminded earlier, this is the only place in the Bible when children specifically are given an imperative, an instruction. You know, there's stuff that applies to people in general, which applies to children, of course. But specifically for children, this is the place. So, what are we going to look at? Well, we're going to look at three things. Uh, We're going to look at the responsibility uh, that is for both uh, children and parents. We'll see that. Shortly, uh, we'll see that there's grace, which is kind of that's the glue. How uh, these relationships are to hold together. That's why, where we see at uh, verse one and verse four. It talks about in the Lord and of the Lord. So there's a sense in which how God does things is how we are to do things. We're to imitate God. And lastly, and this is uh, one which I think we all know we need. It's grit. Grit. All right. So responsibility, grace, and grit, in order to uh, biblically, uh, be parents and children under God. All right, so let's have a look. Let's begin with responsibility for children and parents. Now, as I said, this text is very interesting. It has some imperatives for children. And so whilst we may not all be parents, we are all children. And so this does apply to all of us. And it says, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then actually quotes uh, the fifth commandment from the Old Testament. It says, uh, in the quotation marks there, verse 2, honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And then it goes on that you may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So this is a consistent uh, thing, actually, throughout the Bible, is that uh, people, children in particular, are to honour their parents. This is something God has established. God has established the family unit. It's His design. It's not just uh, by chance or by accident. It is God's design and He has it that as it functions well, children would obey their parents. Now, there's a couple of different words used here for how we ought to go about that. One is obey, that is talking about our actions. So as children, we are to do what our parents tell us to do. Gee, now that grates instantly against us, right? And we think, well, what are the exceptions to that? I'll get to that in a minute. But the point is, God has so established order in the world and he has established that within families. Children are to obey their parents in their actions. That is, do what they're told. Don't do what we're told. Uh, The second word that's used in terms of uh, an action is actually about attitude, actually. It says, honour your parents. Honour your father and your mother. And And that speaks to not just what we do, but how we do it, how we respect and look to those who are in authori- have some sense of authority over us. And w- what is the uh, reflection on that? Uh, the Apostle Paul says, for this is right. This is right. This is righteous might be another way to look at it. This is the way that God has so ordered the world that it is good under his design that children would obey and honor their parents. Now again, conversation I was just having before reflects on the simplicity of this. Right? Children aren't given all this complex stuff to do because they are under authority. They are in a place in which their parents are to care for them. Their parents are to be God's stewards over them until they can take up the responsibilities of an adult. This is placing children into uh, God's system. Now, I think most of these things are fairly intuitive to us. But your brain has probably been ticking along going, Surely there's some exceptions to this, right? Surely there's some exceptions to this. So what about, for example, and I've got, got a few exceptions to go through, what about when our life stage changes? For example, what happens when you move out of home? If, if you're a young person and you move out of home or you be, you, know, you sort of get to the age of 18, which we've said in our culture is when you're an adult, do you have more freedom? Do you have to do exactly what your parents do say all the time? Fair questions, isn't it? And for those of you who are still living at home, you're keenly interested to know how far does it go? How much do I have to obey my parents? Now there is distinctions in the Bible actually about this. In fact, we're right back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 when it talks about the first marriage and the principles for marriage. And it says uh, when a uh, man or woman leave their parents, they they join together to one another and become a new family unit. And so that is, there is a transition at which the authority of the parents diminishes over their children. However, does that mean to honor them diminishes? No. That is an ongoing commandment. We'll we'll get to that a little bit later. So uh, the exceptions are, yes, the authority of parents diminishes as children get older, they become adults, they leave home. You can't tell them what to do so much as you used to. And if parents keep trying to do that, you will push your children away or you will control and dominate them. It actually becomes unhelpful and stops them being fruitful in their lives. So that's one exception that there's life stage change. There's another exception. This is, I think, pretty obvious, but parents are sinners too, aren't we? I mean, I, I'm a parent and, and it's, a, it's kind of with fear and trepidation that I speak on this topic because you start to cast an eye over your experience as a parent and it's a little bit scary. Because we have so much responsibility over these children that we raise, and we, we don't do it right. We sin, we make mistakes, we do the wrong thing. Now the question is, of course, when you're a child of your parent, how far does your obedience extend to them if they're sinning in the way that they're treating you? Now, I, th- I think it's well put this way. If you can't obey, you can always honour your parents. Let me say that again. If you can't obey them because you believe it would be a sin before God, you can always honour them. So that means that as you get older, and and you uh, you know your uh, intelligence grows, and and your ability to uh, rationally handle things, and you actually realise that sometimes there's a difference between honouring God and honouring your parents. Sometimes there's a conflict between those two. You can actually say no to your parents, but you still must honour them. You still must honour them. And that's very important for us to see. Uh, I think there's a third kind of place for exceptions. And this is really just a remark on what we're like as people. Our instinct as human beings is to reject authority. So that is probably your first instinct is to go, I don't want to do what my parents say. Even as I become an adult, as I get older and older, and my parents have more, more or less influence on my life, my instinct will be to say no to them. And we must acknowledge that we have an instinct to disobey. We have an instinct to ignore, we have an instinct to rebel against parents. And so we must be careful with that. We must also be careful with the uh, individualistic culture in which we live, which really separates children from responsibility when they're younger. So they almost have no responsibility, which you see is not the case here. Children have responsibility. And then when they're 18, we're just like loaded with an enormous amount of responsibility that's almost too much to bear. And so like literally one day can make all the difference, can't it? Between being 17 and 18 and having like, you can go to war, you can vote, you know, you can make all your own decisions once you're 18. Yet before that, you can't do any of those things. Interesting, isn't it? And so we still need a relationship God willing, with parents in our lives. Now, I realise that not all of us have parents around, and some of us have very dysfunctional relationships with our parents. Some people haven't had parental figures in our life for a long time, and I'm going to speak to that a little bit later, because actually God has uh, so designed His church to be a special family, where people can actually receive this kind of care from those who are older than them, and this kind of wisdom and responsibility from those that are older than them within the church, which is a wonderful thing. So... Yes, children have a responsibility to parents. Yes, there are exceptions or particular circumstances where we need to look at this carefully. But we must see something that I think is just overlooked in general, perhaps not talked about that much. And this is verse 3. And it it says, um, referring to the promise. The promise is this, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That is, if children obey their parents, it will go well with them and they will live Long in the land. Now, this is of course referring to ancient Israel, and there were promises uh, associated with uh, God's people obeying his commandments and living within uh, the land of Canaan, which became the nation of Israel. But why then is this commandment reiterated with the blessing here? Because it is saying that there is something powerful about when children honour their parents in the way that God has designed, it actually reflects God to the world produces a general good amongst their community what's the building blocks of community it is the family and so if you have people with like christian people who are reflecting god's good order that is children obeying their parents and honoring their parents within god's good order that will reflect well on you it will reflect well on the world and it will be this thing that jesus spoke to us about which we become like salt and light that is, the behaviour of Christians would be like light in a dark world and people would see, hey, there's something different. There's something different because these people value order in a particular way. And even when they disagree with their parents, they still want to honour them because normally those th- two things don't go together. It will be like salt. That is, as Christian families expose themselves to other families who don't know God in the world, people will see and go, there's something special, there's something good about this. This is God's way of bringing his kingdom to bear on the world through families. There is a blessing for the families. It will go well with them. And I think the point is, live long in the land, is there's a community aspect to this. God will bless those that obey his commandments. He will bless the people that surround them. That's the idea of being salt and light. Salt is a preserving agent. It's been used since ancient times until now. We still use it to preserve and make things better. What's one of God's primary ways of doing that? Through the family unit. Okay, so we've looked at the responsibility of children to parents. And we normally don't talk about that, but it's, the text does, so it's important that we do. Now we turn to the responsibility of parents to children. Now there's this really interesting, uh, and it's really it's one verse which is fascinating, but verse 4, it says, Fathers do not provoke children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, uh, this is a really interesting text, firstly because uh, it's probably referring to both parents when it says fathers. Often in the Bible, we see the masculine uh, pronoun often used, or the term brothers often used when it means men and women. And so because mothers and fathers are mentioned earlier, it probably refers to both parents, although we must remember that the culture there was more patriarchal, that is, the, head of the, the father was the head of the home. And so, which you know, still can be the case today, of course, and perhaps should be in many uh, instances. Um, but back then, that was kind of the norm. So we need to see it in that context. But we also need to see something which I don't think we understand very well, is that back in that day, this uh, fathers do not provoke your children to anger was totally foreign. Totally foreign. This was... Like, in fact, very much the opposite was in the culture at the time. So much so that there was a Roman law, which in Latin is a patria protestas, patria protestas, which means the the power of the father. So, this was in Roman law, so this was subject to everyone uh, under the Roman Empire, which. Uh, the church in Ephesus would have been, and of course pretty much all of the Christian church at that time would have been under the rule of Roman law. And the power of the father goes like this. This is in the encyclopedia. It says, This power meant originally not only that he had control over the persons of his children, amounting even to a right to inflict capital punishment, but that he alone had any rights in private law. That is, the father and the, is the head of the household, He can tell everyone what to do. He can inflict even capital punishment upon anyone else in his family. He's protected by the law to do that, and he's the only one that's deemed a citizen under the law. Uh, It goes further. It says, Thus acquisitions of a child became the property of the father. The father might allow a child, as he might a slave, certain property to treat it as his own, but in the eye of the law it continued to belong to the father. Okay, so we have a situation where in the family unit in the Roman Empire, this is in the first century when this was written, fathers had absolute power and no retribution from the state. They could do whatever they liked to their children, to their wives. It was was a bit messy. And so there is restraint here placed upon uh, fathers and parents, which was unknown in that day and age and unknown to that culture which I think is really helpful and interesting for us because uh, sometimes we tend to go the other way uh, and have sort of no power and authority to parents uh, within our culture and we sort of give far more to the state. But I think we can see that, of course, this is wrong, this um, uh, Roman law that was there in day, but we also must see that the other extreme is not helpful. So what is this telling us to do as parents? It's telling us not to be tyrants not to rule over with absolute authority because parents must realise that they are under the authority of God. You're always under someone in God's scheme. And that is, when we get things in right order, things go well. So parents are to not be tyrants, but loving. And we must remember that the golden rule that is do unto others as you would have them do to yourself, that Jesus taught, applies to children and parents. That means it's very difficult when parents say Uh, Do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever heard that? When parents say that's very difficult, because God has a higher standard. And and we've all been children, we've seen inconsistency or hypocrisy in our parents. That really doesn't work for us, and it doesn't work for God either. That's a sin. And so really, God calls all of His people, parents in particular, to consistency. He calls them to integrity, and He calls them to... Love their children as they would love themselves. So the first part, do not provoke the children uh, to anger. And the second part of the parents' responsibility to children is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, discipline and instruction, again, words uh, that are probably not so common today, but very important. Why? Because God is a God of order. And parents are stewards under God. And parents have responsibilities to raise their children up so that they would know and trust in God himself. This means that we must, on the one hand, not be hyper-proactive helicopter parents controlling our children's life and literally provoking them to anger. And on the other hand, we must not be disinterested free-range parents and let our children do whatever they want. We can't do it. We're not supposed to do either. Because God has an ordered way of doing things. Again, this is putting ourselves not under the rule of our culture, not even under the rule of the state, though God acknowledges the rules of the state. But actually, we are first subject to the rules of God. Now, uh, someone who is sort of lifted up as um, an amazing example of a mother was a woman called Susanna Wesley, uh, the mother of uh, John and Charles Wesley. uh, And she... um, Quite a, she had 17 kids, so you could probably learn a little bit from her. All right? okay, so this is what she said. Uh, the parent who studies, this is interesting, the way she uses her language is really interesting. The parent who studies to subdue the self-will of his child works together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. Let me say that again. The parent who studies to subdue the self-will of his child works together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. Now, we must see that in children is the same as in adults, that there is this self-will, this desire to rule. And we probably see it more prominently in children, it might be more obvious, but we just tend to hide it as we become adults, don't we? But there is a sense in which self-will is actually against God's will. You know, the Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That sort of paradigm-shaping prayer is to say that who we are to be, before God is people who trust him more than ourselves. And that's just and it's instinctive in children to want to do their things their own way. And so the idea when we actually commit to, as it says here, bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we partner with God in raising up these children into adults who will honor him. When we ignore our responsibility to raise up children to, uh, in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord, We stop working hand-in-hand with God. Because there is a second part to what Susanna Wesley says, and the language is a bit different. I wasn't sure whether to include this, but let's give it a go. It says, The parent who indulges the self-will of their child does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that in him lies to damn child, soul, and body forever. Maybe a bit extreme, um, but you get her point. Is it we can partner with God? And not being sort of extreme helicopter parents and controlling everything, but neither letting our children uh, just do their own thing. We must be people who partner with God in the renewing and the saving of a soul. Now, this is really challenging in our day and age because the cultural protections that we've had to support the building up of the family have been gradually eroded haven't they? That is, uh, we've seen the definition of marriage and family change in Australia and in many countries in the Western world. And so what does that do? Well, it changes the way that these things are to operate. It's not, it's not in favour. The Christian view is no longer in favour in the public eye. Oh, now, now, to be fair, that's nothing new. It's nothing new that the Christian view would not be in favour in the world. I mean, it wasn't in favour then. Fathers had absolute power and could do whatever they liked with their children, and had there was no legal recourse against them. So, in a sense, there's nothing new there, but we must be aware that the culture around us, the world around us, is trying to conform us to its will. I just want to give one example of this, and I think it's one that we need to take seriously. And this is for parents. So I'm speaking to parents here, or those who will be parents. How you prioritize your time and you model your time before your children will directly influence their faith. Let me say that again. How you prioritize and model how you spend your time will directly influence the faith of your children. Okay, let me give an example of that. Uh, many parents want their children to succeed. I mean, I think that's just a general thing, right? I mean, children, parents want their children to succeed and do well. Parents uh, want their children to get a good education. That's one of the things our culture values. That's it's not a bad thing. In fact, Christians invented uh, widespread education, so it's a it's a Christian thing, and it's sort of been taken on by the state, right? But uh, one of the things that we can do is lift that up so high that we would prefer our children uh, get tutored, get high grades to get ahead, rather than invest in them when with reading the Bible with our children, encourage them to go to church, things, or discipling them in the. F- instruction and the knowledge of God. Another one could be sport. Now this is an interesting one, and I was talking to my wife about this recently. Um, Sunday sport was never a thing in uh, like 50, 60, 70 years ago in Australia. It was was almost totally uncommon. Why? Because Christians set aside Sunday for what? Church. Now that's a reflection of a Christianized society and, and Uh, That doesn't mean everyone was Christian, but the cultural values lined up with Christian values. And so there was really no competition. There was nothing else to do on a Sunday, so you could might as well go to church. Now, that's not necessarily a good reason to go to church, but if you're here for that reason, that's good too. Now, Now, of course, things have changed, right? And what's happened? Sport on Sunday. Work on Sunday. Hey, does anyone remember when the shops weren't open on Sunday? Yeah, it's a thing. Now, what are we, what's happening? Well, uh, I think it's Adelaide's still holding out with our sort of 11 till 5 shopping hours, but the other states have given up on that. Why? Because we don't care about Christian value. We, we don't care about, as a culture and society, about holding things uh, to line up with God's standard. Now, this puts incredible pressure on parents because, you, because your children will get paid better on a Sunday and so it's good for them to work on a Sunday rather than go to church because they'll earn more money and then it's good for them to you know start working it's good for them to play sport and get ahead in their sport on a Sunday because that's the only time the games are but if you help your children prioritise working and sport and education above spending time with God and discipling them and being a part of His church and you prioritise those things for them when they become adults and leave the home what do you think they're going to prioritise? Education, career, sport. Where's church on that fourth? And it will just fall further down the line. And so parents, what you prioritize, how you spend your time will directly affect the faith of your children. We must be careful with this because our culture has values that we don't have to take on. You can say no to sport. You can say no to work on Sunday. That's okay. In fact, it's often good And this grates against our self-will, doesn't it? But gee, we have to think about these things because Christians are supposed to be light in a dark world. We need to be very careful with the things that we inhabit from our culture. Okay, I've talked enough about responsibility. Let's move on to grace. Grace. Now, the reason I mentioned grace, as I said earlier, is because there's two uh, references that we need to take on uh, from our text. And it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So we got that phrase, in the Lord. And then verse 4, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so there's something about God, there's something about the Lord, which we are to take on when it comes to parenting. Uh, a good metaphor which you see consistently in the Bible is that of a cornerstone. A cornerstone, that is the sort of foundation stone, the first stone that is laid in the construction of a building. And when you lay that stone correctly, it becomes the datum point. That is, everything else is based upon that stone, that foundation stone. And if you build a structure on it, it will be set right. Why? Because everything comes back to its datum point, this corner stone. Now, this metaphor is ascribed to Jesus. And it's saying that if you, you know, uh, base your life on the foundation of Jesus... And who he is through faith in him, having him as both Saviour and Lord. And if you keep pointing your life back to him, what will happen? Things will be set right. But if the, but if they're not, if you miss your data board, if you start building it on top of other things, culture values and whatever else, then you will not be able to do it properly. Now, I used to experience this when I used to be a landscaper. We used to build walls out of, out of stone. And if we got the first stone right and we based everything off that first stone that was set in the right place, the whole wall would look right. And if we didn't get the foundation right, what would happen? The wall would not stand properly. Now this is true all the more for parenting. For parenting. Being a Christian parent or child only works if Jesus is our cornerstone, if we are in the Lord or of the Lord. This won't work otherwise. You you won't be able to pull it off. You can work with all your might to do it, and you will fail unless you are in the Lord or of the Lord. Now, actually, Jesus Himself—this is the interesting thing—because when we look at um, when we think of examples, we don't just need to point to ourselves or good examples of people throughout history. We can point to God Himself. Why? Because Jesus was both a, is both the Son of God the Father, but also was a child of human parents. Isn't that incredible? And so we have a wonderful example in Jesus. And we see, uh, particularly in Luke's gospel, that Jesus was submissive to his parents. He did this. He followed the fifth commandment. He honoured his father and his mother. Which is incredible, because surely they should be honouring him as God. And yet Jesus subjected himself to the human institution of the family under God's good design, does that not tell us that if Jesus did it, we ought to do it too? Uh, we see further that uh, Jesus is submissive to God the Father. And we, we see that in Jesus' teaching, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. You know, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And then Jesus expressed this himself when he was wrestling in agony before he was going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he say? Your will be done, not mine. So Jesus honoured his heavenly Father as he calls us to. Now, we see a bit of a difference here. Uh, And this is, I think, instructive for us. Jesus was submissive to his human parents, even though they didn't always know what was going on. Right? Remember the story, Jesus was sort of left behind in Jerusalem. He was probably 12 or 13, just had his bar mitzvah, and they found him in the temple, and his parents lost him somehow. And They said, Jesus, where did you go? And Jesus said, didn't you know that I would be in my father's temple? But it says that Jesus submitted to his parents. And so he honoured them, even though that they, he probably knew more than they did, uh, far more than they did at, at that point. So that was a submission under their authority. But then when we get to Jesus under the authority of the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's voluntary. It's voluntary His honour and obedience to the Father. And this helps us just in thinking through, on the one hand, like how do we relate to our parents when we're children? How do we relate to them when we're adults? But Jesus' voluntary submission to God the Father wasn't like You know, you need to do the dishes or something, or you need to make your bed. Jesus' voluntary submission to the Father was something that would actually cost him greatly, even his own life being uh, crucified on a cross. So we have a wonderful example of Jesus. And when we think about being in the Lord, uh, we must look to the example of Jesus. But we also need to look uh, to the example of God as Father. So we have so much to look to, but we, as parents then, we need to look to the example of God as Father. Now, C.S. Lewis, uh, in in his book, The Problem of Pain, uh, talks about humanity, uh, rather than wanting a heavenly father, we want a heavenly grandfather. And C.S. Lewis buys into the idea that, uh, the stereotype, if you will, that the difference between grandparents and parents is um, parents sort of will uh, do the discipline as well as the, the, the care, Whereas grandparents generally will not do the discipline and just do the care. Now <laughs> yeah, that's probably not fair to all the grandparents, but the the, the way that um, C.S. Lewis describes it is it's this idea that well you know grandparents they just want to be loved by the children so they'll feed them lollies to get them to do stuff and you know pay them off if they're not doing the right thing because they don't have to worry about the discipline because they can hand them back over to their parents, but the parents. We'll not give them lollies all the time, hopefully, because they know that they're going to pay for that later when the kids are up at nine o'clock at night, right? That's how it works. Now, the problem with us as people is that we want a heavenly grandfather, not a heavenly father. We want someone who will do our will. He will give us lollies all the time, who will always give us what we want when we want it, rather than a heavenly father who says, no, you can't have that right now because it's not good for you. Even though a heavenly father is actually doing that because he loves us. We want a heavenly grandfather who will do what we want when we want him to. Sort of a a kindly, soft type who we can really bend to our will as a uh, well-informed young grandchild knows very well how to do, don't they? To the grandparents in the room. Okay, so there's a difference there, isn't there? But this tells us something about the fatherhood of God. God is a heavenly father. He does say no To his children, but it is always for their good. The fatherhood of God is a very interesting concept. We don't have heaps of time to get into it, but it is something that we need to recognize. If you are shaped personally by God as father, then you will be a better parent than you would be otherwise. Far better. If you know God as father and you recognize yourself as his child, then you'll be a far better parent than you would be otherwise because of his goodness. He's not someone on the one hand who's a helicopter and controls our lives. I mean, does God control all of our lives? No, we have free will. Isn't that amazing? He allows us to sin and yet he creates boundaries around us. Yet he, he says no to us when we ask for things. And yet he permits us when we run astray. To have uh, you know the consequences of our actions, God is a good father. He's someone who we need to take notice of. So when when Paul says in our text, "Children obey your parents in the Lord, and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord," we need to think about the Lord when we do that. So let me say this: to be in the Lord and of the Lord for children and parents, we need christ as both savior and lord to be in the lord and of the lord for children and parents we need christ as both savior and lord because we have and this often is because of how we were parented by our parents and the mistakes that they made we often lean one way or the other don't we, we often lean to the side of denying responsibility and just giving our children too much freedom. Perhaps because our parents were too controlling of us. And so we don't want to uh, you know, bring them up on the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or perhaps our parents were a bit loose. And so we might provoke our children to anger. Because we are dom- domineering over them. And not being gracious to them. And so we actually need Jesus to save us from this. We need to confess these things and these things that have been passed on from the generation before us and go, Lord, I want to do things your way. And, so, and actually, we recognize that if we keep doing the sins of a previous generation to our children, we are as much responsible. And God will hold us accountable for that. And so we need Jesus to actually save us out of this sin. We need Jesus to rule over us as Lord so we see that His way is better. And I think we need a humility when it comes to parenting. You know, um, there's probably nothing that will quite as much uh, anger a parent as if you criticise their parenting style. So don't take me as criticising you today. But it's true, right? We feel it because we take it so personally because we realise it is a big responsibility and yet the responsibility falls to us, doesn't it? And so there should be a sense of humility that comes with that. So that we don't just uh, sort of barrel on ahead, doing stuff our own way, really exerting our own self-will rather than getting the input of others. One of the beautiful things about the church is it helps us together to actually model what it is like to be parents who are not at either extreme but are in the Lord and of the Lord when it comes to looking after our children. And so we do need Jesus to forgive our sins as parents. And one of the things that parents often struggle with, and this is perhaps gets worse as you get older, is the guilt. The guilt for the things that we did wrong. I don't know how many of you feel that. And there's a sense in which we've made a lot of mistakes. And if you reflect rightly, we all have. We've all sinned against our children in various ways. We've all failed against... uh, for our children in various ways. And what do we need? We need a God who will free us from our guilt by saying, I will take it. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus, as the perfect, obedient son, said, I will take your sin upon myself. He was obedient when we weren't, even under the greatest pressure. God the Father was the perfect Father, offering His Son for our sake in order that we might be saved from our sin. And so I just want to remind the parents uh, in the room who do have guilt that Jesus has borne that. And so you don't need to carry it anymore. You can actually release it to him. You know, Jesus, uh, it says in uh, the book of uh, Revelation, he still has the scars in his hands and in uh, John's Gospel. Jesus still has the scars in his hands and in, in his side. And so when we think about the mistakes of the sins the failures that we have as parents when you think about the wounds of Jesus why because he's borne our guilt and our shame on the cross it's done and it's paid for and so you don't need to bear it again it doesn't mean we don't need to change but it does mean that we should not carry that guilt anymore so let me reiterate how you relate to God as both a child of God and him as father and, and the condition of your soul, if you've been saved by Jesus, that will be the greatest determining factor of you as a Christian parent or child. Not your family, not your tradition, but your relationship to God. That will be the thing that mo- shapes it the most. Now, there is an effect from generation to generation, which I'm going to talk about. In fact, the text talks about here uh, that... Um, There's blessings from uh, having Christian parents and a Christian heritage. Uh, But you, on the other hand, have a responsibility too before God for how you might respond to what He has done for you in Jesus. So we've looked at responsibility and we've looked at grace. That is, if we're shaped by God, then He will shape us rightly as parents. Finally, and I've just got a few real practical points for you, uh, grit, responsibility, grace, and now thirdly, grit. This is where we get the words obey and uh, bring them up. There's stuff you've got to do uh, when it comes to parents and children. There's things we need to do. Now, there's just I'm just going to hit a few uh, topics for practical application for us because in a sermon like this, you can cover a whole lot of ground um, and we only have a limited amount of time. So firstly, grit. Uh, what sort of things th- we ought we to do uh, when it comes to uh, being children? Of our parents, well, one of the ways that we obey our parents in the Lord and honor our father and mother is care for our parents as they get older. Jesus actually referred to this because uh, there was a practice, um, and particularly said in Matthew 15, there was a practice where um, amongst the religious leaders uh, and the religious elite of the day, they could. Uh, neglect to look after their parents by saying their possessions were Corbin or dedicated to God. And so they are essentially giving religious reasons for saying, well, I don't need to care for my elderly parents because uh, all my money's tied up with the church or with the temple. And Jesus said, that's not on. He said, you forsake uh, the commandments because of your traditions. So here we, in Jesus' teaching uh, and also throughout the Bible, we see that Children have a responsibility to their parents as they get older. So just as your parents had a responsibility for you, you have a responsibility for your parents as they get older. This is something that God has established. Before He established the welfare system, He established care within the family. This is something that we cannot neglect. Now let me give an example for you, because this is where the pressure heats up a little bit, right? Let's say you've got a um, a high-flying career. Uh, you, you know, you've uh, succeeded really well. You've maybe in the finance sector, something like that. You've been promoted to a head office in New York and then London. And uh, fo- you get a phone call. You know, you're, you're married, but you haven't uh, got any children yourself. And you get a phone call, and it's your mother on the line, and she's sick. She's not well, and, uh, and you're the only child. And she's asking for your help to support her. Uh, back at home because she can't look after herself anymore. What do you do? Do you, continue, do you go well? Let's uh, let's sort out care for you on the ground and sort of uh, divest your responsibility through um, the uh, you know the state, uh, the welfare system, an aged care home, something like that. What do you do? Or do you give up your high flying job for a lower paid job back in Australia? Do you uh, go lower down the rung because you know you won't have as much influence and in, in success if you move back home? What do you do? We must think very carefully about this because our culture values career success and financial success far more than caring for elderly, elderly parents, doesn't it? And yet God doesn't. God says, "Honor your father and your mother." So we must care for our older parents. This is very important uh secondly this text talks about a generational blessing that comes from a christian heritage so there's a generational blessing that comes from a christian heritage we see this in verse three it says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land now there's this idea And we've actually seen this throughout a Christianized society in years gone by, that when you get generation after generation of Christians, there's an ongoing blessing because the parents are shaped by the gospel and God's word, then the children are shaped by the gospel and God's word, and if they have children, they're shaped by it. And So you see these building blocks. You see that this this blessing of a family that's shaped by God influences more and more across generation to generation. So it's a very long-term view. Now, this is difficult if you're a first-generation Christian, isn't it? Because you've got stuff almost hardwired in you that, are, uh, and practices that are hardwired in you that are not good. And so you're always fighting against your own tradition and your own upbringing because you didn't have the uh, the grace of a Christian family around you. You have very little uh, to model how you parent your own children on. And so this is important for a couple of reasons. One is first-generation Christians need a lot of help, right? Right? If, if you're a first-generation Christian, you need a lot of help. You need to invite people into your life. You need, you need other people. You need to ask other families, hey, how do you do it? What do you do? If you want to be a good parent and a Christian parent, you need to invite other people into your life. Uh, another thing that I think this emphasizes, and we don't talk about this nearly enough, is it is so important that your children get the faith. Now, parents, we can't control that even though we'd like to. Your your children may or may not uh, walk in the ways of God, but you do have a responsibility whilst they're in your house to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We cannot neglect that. And too often we ignore, let me say this carefully, too often we ignore the responsibility and say, well, it's up to them, when really we've prioritised the wrong things and so given our children a bad foundation. Now, you can do all the right things and your children won't, Stick with God and and be followers of Jesus. But we must not ignore that. And we must aim for, generation after generation, as best we can, of children who are brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord in order that God may get a greater glory through our families. Okay, that's the second one. Third, grit. Uh, we must protect our children oh this is an interesting one. we must protect our children from favoritism and pressure to succeed or fear of failure coming through parents. Now you see this kind of on the sporting field, don't you like the, the overactive parent who sort of is coaching their children into success and sort of it seems like the parent um, has far more in it than the child does don't you or maybe an, an academic. So, and the parent is driving the child to academic success more and more and more and more and getting them tutoring for everything. And so the child is sort of working from 6 till 10 or midnight every day. Uh, but it's really the parent wanting to live vicariously through the child. And what you'll find is in your children, they will have a fear of failure as when they become adults or they'll be so driven to success that that will be their number one idol. Why? Because that is what you've done to them. We must be utterly careful with these things. And so this means, for parents, get yourself sorted out before you try and put it on your children. That means, parents, you need to be in and of the Lord. You need to be shaped by Jesus. You need to be humble enough to go, man, I can't keep pressuring my children to do what I want them to do because it makes me feel successful. Because if it's about you, not your children, then it's really not good for them. Okay. I think I've been strong enough on that one. Fourth, uh, this is to parents of younger children. Do Bible reading and prayer with your children from a young age. So Proverbs 22, verse 5 says, uh, train up your children in the way they should go and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, bagging out kids' devotionals. Uh, I think they're good and helpful and they can be age-appropriate. But as soon as your child can read, even before they can read, uh, you should be reading them the Bible. This is something that we practice in my house. We just sit down, we just go through the Bible as an ordinary adult Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, most evenings, as as best we can. It's sort of part of the um, Bible bath, so dinner, Bible, bath, bed kind of routine that we established in our house. But the reason that we do that, why? Is because we are modeling for our children that God's word is precious and it's our daily bread. When it, one of the other things that we practice um, in our house, and this really is from Deuteronomy 6 that talks about teaching your child on, uh, on the way, uh, you know, so you sort of bring up things about God on the way, is that we pray through the Lord's Prayer in the mornings. So we're just going to work through it category by category. But it's a way of incorporating prayer and Bible reading into the daily activity of your children. And I've got to say that is utterly vital. Why? Because that's what you want them to do as they get older and grow into adults. And you actually, I think we use devotionals too much. Take that from what you will. But gee, there's a whole lot in here, in God's Word, that we can actually just explain for our children. And if they begin to grasp that from an early age, then they will not depart from it when they get older. Okay, uh, really quickly, two more. Uh, include those without families into the big family of the church. Okay, so I've, I've been speaking to um, a lot to parents. Uh, many of you aren't parents. Uh, many of you are single. Uh, you've got, or you've got adult children, and so your kids are kind of gone. Uh, and you've got this time on your hands, or perhaps you've got space in your life, uh, and you don't have uh, children yourself that you're looking after. You are a part of the church. You have a responsibility towards the younger people. Within the, church. the Bible has a lot to say about older mentoring or teaching the younger. And so this is something where uh, people who are already in families, as in biological families, need spiritual grandparents and parents to mentor and support their own kids. We need that in the church. If you're a single person, you're a person who's got adult children, you need to become a spiritual parent or grandparent as part of God's big family, to support and raise these children. You know they say a village raises a child. Like I say, a church does a whole lot better. And it should. Why? Because it's God's institution. And when you get this beautiful dynamic of of generation after generation, loving and honouring God, and those who are new to the faith coming in, and those who have little experience coming in and seeing it happening, you see a church that is uh, light and salt to the world around it. Okay, last one. Uh, Parents and children need to repent to each other regularly. Parents, if you sin against your children, you need to say, ask their forgiveness. It's hard because you've got to bite down your pride, but we've got to do it. Because uh, Because your children need to see that you're a sinner too who needs God's grace. And you need to teach your children to ask your forgiveness too when they sin against you. And what that will do, as they get older and they're raised into, uh, hopefully, God-fearing adults, they will understand forgiveness and grace far better because they've seen it in the home. It wasn't a foreign concept because because Dad never said sorry or Mum never said sorry. And so we must be shaped by humility. And again, the only way to do this, and, and the Bible's really clear on this, is if you understand that you are forgiven for your many sins by God, then you can extend forgiveness to anyone as a child, or as a parent, that you can ask for forgiveness from your children. All right, let's finish there. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you uh, for teaching us uh, what it means to be children and parents before you. Uh, Help us, Lord, to think these things through carefully, to shape ourselves, not by the culture around us, but by your word. Help us to create a witness from generation to generation that you, Lord God, are worthy of our praise and honour, our families, and this great family, the church. We pray this in Jesus' name.